You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Today is Monday, the 28th of September. And guys, I can't believe it myself, but today marks the five years to the day of my very first Daily Show episode. Yeah, so I just want to take a moment to say thank you, man. Thank you to everyone out there who's been watching the show. Thank you to everybody who's been supporting us over the past five years. I, I'm truly grateful because this has been one of the wildest rides of my entire life. I mean, I, I still remember how when I started, people were telling me that I sucked and that I was a horrible host and that I shouldn't even be in a TV studio. And well, now those people got their wish. Anyway, on tonight's show, we meet the next Supreme Court justice. Roy Wood Jr. looks at the effort to help felons get the right to vote, and the world finally finds out why Donald Trump has been hiding his taxes. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Let's kick things off with the Supreme Court the only people who have more control over your life than Jeff Bezos. For decades now, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was the cornerstone of the court's liberal bloc. But over the weekend, Donald Trump nominated Amy Coney Barrett as her replacement. And it looks like having three names is the only thing she and her predecessor have in common. 37 days out from election day, the president selecting Judge Amy Coney Barrett to fill the seat vacated by the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. At age 48, Amy Coney Barrett would become the youngest member of the Supreme Court. A native of New Orleans, she went to college in Tennessee and graduated from law school at Notre Dame, where she taught law for 15 years and is a devout Catholic. Barrett, a former clerk for Justice Antonin Scalia, could reshape the court for decades to come, pushing it further to the right. In 2003, she suggested that a key Supreme Court decision upholding Roe v. Wade and a right to abortion was wrongly decided. If she's confirmed, the court would be more likely to uphold efforts by the states to restrict access to abortion. And the court would probably be more likely to broaden the reach of gun rights. If she's confirmed by the time the Supreme Court hears a make-or-break challenge to Obamacare in mid-November, she might be inclined to rule for the red states challenging the law. She's been critical of the court's 2012 ruling upholding it. That's right, people. Trump's nominee to replace RBG could help overturn Roe v. Wade, kill Obamacare, and expand gun rights. So that means someday in the future, a fetus can shoot you and you won't have insurance to pay the hospital bills. This is like Mike Pence's wet dream, if he was allowed to have them, of course. And what's really shocking about these issues is how out of touch the Supreme Court could be from the country at large. I mean, 63% of Americans want Roe v. Wade kept in place, 56% support Obamacare, and 64% support stricter gun laws. I guess this is what the Founding Fathers always wanted, you know, a branch of government that would act like an evil step-parent for the rest of the country. Please, ma'am, may I have some health care? No, now go to your room and play with your AR-15. And those are just some of the issues she'll rule on in the next couple of years. Because keep in mind, Barrett is only 48 years old. So she'll be sitting on the bench for decades, which is really bad news for liberals. And really bad news for her. I mean, sitting on a bench for decades with no seat cushions, that's gonna get uncomfortable. Or is that not what, how it works? They've got like, ah. Uh... Now, usually confirming a Supreme Court nominee can take up to three months. You need time to vet the nominee. 
You need time to hold the hearings and you need time to take them to the mall for their glamour shots. But since the election is just five weeks away, Republicans are putting the process on fast forward. And based on the schedule that they've put forward, they are gonna vote to confirm Amy Coney Barrett just days before the election. And you almost have to appreciate how ballsy this is. I mean, this is the same party that went from, you can't confirm a Supreme Court justice during the same year as an election. And now they're practically confirming someone on election day. It's a complex legislative maneuver known as the shrug emoji. And you know, I wouldn't mind Republicans doing a complete 180 on this if every now and again, they flipped on a different belief, you know? Like how poor people don't deserve to live. You know, do a 180 on that one, spice things up. And right now, Democrats don't have a lot of options to stop the nominee. In fact, Joe Biden has resorted to appealing to Republicans' sense of decency and urging them to vote against filling the seat right before the election. But I'm gonna be honest, Republicans are not giving off a strong decency vibe right now. From notorious RGV to notorious ACB, the Republican grassroots fundraising group, Winred, is now offering limited edition t-shirts referring to President Trump's new Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, as the notorious ACB. The shirt is a play on the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is often referred to as the notorious RBG. The shirt comes one week after Ginsburg's passing. Ah, yes. Nothing says class and decency like mocking a deceased Supreme Court justice by stealing her nickname. Not only is this insulting to RBG's legacy, it's insulting to rap. Because there's no way Amy Coney Barrett even knows who Biggie Smalls is. I bet if you asked her, she'd probably think you were taking measurements for her robe fitting. In fact, Amy Coney Barrett is the exact opposite of RBG. So technically, she should be Tupac. I mean, if you're gonna do it, do it right. Those should be thug pro-life t-shirts, you dumbasses. Actually, that's a good idea, don't, don't give them that. But guess what? Two can play at this game, conservatives. You steal a liberal's nickname, then I'm gonna steal a conservative's nickname. From now on, I'm gonna go by Ted Cruz's moniker. That's right, you can call me Trevor if Wolverine was addicted to fudge, Noah. Of course, if I was Trump, I would also be rushing to fill the Supreme Court seat. And not just because it's important, but also because it takes attention away from the coronavirus, which is still rampaging through the country. In fact, after dropping during the summer, Corona cases are now on the rise again in 21 states. But apparently for the governor of Florida, that sounds like party time. The Orlando Sentinel reports coronavirus infections in Florida have topped 700,000 as the state reopens businesses. The governor lifted all restrictions on restaurants, bars, clubs, and other businesses in the state on Friday in a move to reopen the economy. Under the order, local leaders cannot fine people for failing to wear a mask in public. Florida is third in the nation for COVID-19 infections. Governor Ron DeSantis says he's willing to consider a college bill of rights so college students can socialize and participate in activities without worrying about getting thrown out of school. He wouldn't say whether it will be done through an executive order, but the announcement he made after Florida State University announced that it will suspend any student who attends or hosts large gatherings on or off campus. Wow. Ron DeSantis is not messing around. While other states are out here gingerly trying to figure out how to safely open around coronavirus, this guy's just declared that Florida ain't quarantining for shit. In a weird way, I kind of get where he's coming from, guys. I mean, there are times that I've just wanted to say, you know what, forget the masks, forget being safe. I miss being coughed on by strangers in the subway. 
But then I remember that people are still dying from coronavirus all the time, and that brings me back to my senses. But oh man, if you ignore those people dying, boy, then it's a party, baby! But then you remember, then you're sad. But if you don't remember... And I know, I know that some of you right now will say, is it really a good idea for the state with the most deaths over the past week to say no masks, no restrictions, no nothing? But guys, when has Florida ever been about good ideas? This is the state that legally defined tank tops as black tie. Good ideas is not their thing. But I will say, even for Florida, I'm surprised that they think a pandemic is the time to fight for college kids' right to do a keg stand. I mean, if there was ever a college game that seems like it was invented by coronavirus, it would be keg stands. Crazy idea, guys. But what if we all, like, took turns putting our mouths on the same tap over and over again? That would be fun, right? Moving on. There are now just 36 days until the election, which means liberals have 35 days to learn how to use a gun. You bitch asses, your NPR subscriptions aren't gonna help you when there's a civil war. Anyway, let's check in on the state of the race in another edition of Votegasm 2020. Throughout this race, both candidates have been picking up key endorsements. Joe Biden has gotten endorsements from Bernie Sanders, Cindy McCain, and Crest Whitestrips, while President Trump has been endorsed by police unions, Franklin Graham, and COVID-19. And if I'm honest, I don't know how much endorsements actually sway potential voters at this stage of the race. But yesterday, Joe Biden got a major endorsement that raised more than a few people's eyebrows. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is throwing his weight behind Democratic vice presidential candidate Joe Biden. As a registered independent for years now with centrist, centrist, excuse me, ideologies, I do feel that Vice President Biden and Senator Harris are the best choice to lead our country, and I am endorsing them to become president and vice president of our United States. Can you smell what The Rock is cooking? If you can't smell it, that's one of the symptoms of coronavirus. You should probably go get it checked out. Guys, this could be massive. Every franchise The Rock gets involved in is a huge success, so I think Biden is looking at at least nine terms as president. Plus, not only is The Rock the world's biggest movie star, he also has the skills to drive Joe Biden across the Canadian border when Trump tries to throw him in jail. Honestly, though, if you ask me, I think this is good news for Biden and Trump. Yeah, because The Rock could have just announced he's running for president, and then he would have won the whole thing. And look, I know some conservatives right now are really angry and they're like, why the hell would I take political advice from someone who's been in the WWE? And I totally get that. I mean, you elected one of them to run the country and look at where that got us. But the big moment that everyone is waiting for is happening tomorrow night. When Joe Biden and Donald Trump will face off for their first presidential debate. And in normal campaigns, candidates prepare by researching the issues and doing mock debates. But if Donald Trump gets his way, this debate prep might involve peeing in a cup. The president is demanding that Biden take a drug test, suggesting Biden had used performance-enhancing drugs during his primary debates. You've said this numerous times, but do you really believe that Joe Biden will be on any type of performance-enhancing drug ahead of the debates, or are you just joking? No, I'm not joking. I mean, I'm willing to take a drug test. I think he should, too. The Biden camp fired back, saying Vice President Biden intends to deliver his debate answers in words. If the president thinks his best case is made in urine, he can have at it. 
Oh, please, people, can we go one election without talking about Trump's dick? And yes, of course Joe Biden is taking drugs. So is Trump. They are old men, very old men. They both leave CVS with wheelbarrows full of pills just to stay standing. But I don't know what Trump is talking about here. Because what drug has ever made a person sound more in touch with the challenges America faces? I mean, I must have missed the scene in Scarface where Tony Montana comes out with his face dusted in coke like, okay, I'm reloaded, and I'm gonna introduce some sound fiscal policy to shore up social security to you motherfucking cockroaches! I mean, if there was a performance-enhancing drug that makes someone better at being president, I want the president taking that drug. Wouldn't you? In fact, everyone in government should take that drug. Wouldn't it be great if every person at the DMV was operating at Obama level? Actually, I take that back. Obama at the DMV would be a nightmare. By the time you get your license, it's already time to get it renewed. Uh, the form you wanted to fill out was actually, uh... The... If I'm perfectly honest with you, I'm actually surprised that in America, of all the people who are forced to take drug tests, the president isn't one of them. Because if you gotta take a drug test to be a cashier at TJ Maxx, you should damn well have to do it before you get the code to the nukes. All right, we have to take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll tell you why you are probably paying more taxes than the president of the United States. Don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. So ever since he first started running for president 50 years ago, I'm gonna say, Donald Trump has refused to show the public his tax returns. And now we might finally know why. Breaking news, tax bombshell. The New York Times gets its hands on President Trump's taxes, showing staggering business losses, crushing personal debt, and a tax bill that's just a fraction of what most hardworking Americans have to pay. This morning, the New York Times reporting that President Trump paid just $750 in federal income taxes the year he won the White House, and the same amount his first year in office. On top of that, the paper says that of the 18 years they examined, he paid no federal income tax in 11 of them. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. The president of the country almost never pays taxes, and when he does, he only pays $750? Yo, that shit pisses me off. Because Trump is always out there like, we're building back our military. We, no motherfucker, we're building back the military. You didn't pay for shit. If you didn't chip in, you don't get to put your name on the card. And just for those keeping score, Trump paid $750 in taxes and $130,000 to a porn star. Which means if the IRS wants to get money from Trump, you guys know what you gotta do. And this story didn't just expose how little Trump has paid in taxes over the years. It also revealed some of the accounting tricks that he used to do it. The paper also accuses the president and his companies of claiming questionable deductions. The article reveals that among the write-offs Trump has taken over the years are more than $70,000 for haircuts while on The Apprentice, nearly $96,000 paid for Ivanka Trump's favorite hair and makeup artist, and approximately $2 million for Trump and Donald Trump Jr.'s legal defense for the Russia inquiry. He also wrote off more than $109,000 for linens and silverware and nearly $200,000 for landscaping at Mar-a-Lago. Trump reportedly racked up $26 million in, quote, unexplained consulting fees. The Times finding that Ivanka Trump was the recipient of some of those payments, which would raise flags because she was also an employee of the Trump organization. Okay, first of all, you're not supposed to pay an employee a consulting fee. But also for Trump, 
There's a cruel irony that the one payment to a woman that might actually get him in legal trouble was to the one woman he can't sleep with. And the craziest thing to me is that he took a $70,000 deduction on his hair. Because to me, now it looks like two crimes might have been committed here. One is Trump's tax evasion, and two is whoever swindled Trump into paying $70,000 for what they did to him. On the other hand, though, $70,000 for Trump's hair might actually make sense. Because whoever did that needed to bend the law of physics. And I'm pretty sure that ain't cheap. And if you ask me, the worst part of the story for Donald Trump isn't that he got out of paying taxes. Because I mean, let's be honest, lots of billionaires do that. I mean, billionaires paying their fair share of taxes is like someone going to a pumpkin patch and not Instagramming it. It doesn't happen. But what the story exposes isn't just that Trump is bad at paying taxes, it's that he's even worse at business. The investigation paints the picture of a businessman whose empire is seriously struggling. According to the Times, most of the president's core businesses, including his golf courses and hotel just blocks from the White House, report losing millions, if not tens of millions, year after year. The Times says documents show the president reported more than $47 million in losses in 2018 alone, and he faces a personal debt totaling $421 million, money that could come due while he's in office if he's elected to a second term. Okay, can I just say, if you decided to lend $400 million to Donald Trump, that's on you. Yeah, I hope he doesn't pay you back because you are the one person on earth worse with money than he is. But just take a second to think about what all this means. If Donald Trump does win a second term, his creditors will come asking for their $400 million while he is still president. And I don't know about you, but that has me worried because I don't want the president's decisions for the country getting influenced by his deep financial troubles. And also, because there's a good chance that Trump is gonna pay off his debt by selling off American treasures. How much will you guys give me for the Grand Canyon? It's a priceless testament to nature's majesty. I'll let you have it for 400 bucks, 350, deal. I gotta say, guys, after reading this story in the New York Times and learning this about Trump, everything makes so much sense now. Like this tax story is the Rosetta Stone that helps us figure everything out. Trump doesn't actually want to be president. He just really needs that secret service protection. Shit, if I had $400 million in loans coming due, I'd also be trying to cancel the election. It also explains why Melania isn't leaving Trump. I mean, if she divorces him, she gets half of the $400 million in debt. I also now get why Trump was rooting for Bernie Sanders so hard. He wanted him to win so that the government would bail him out. I mean, it all makes sense now, people. It even explains why Trump has been destroying the post office. Good luck collecting your money when you can't mail him a bail. Either way, people, America's president is in big trouble. He has a mountain of debt and his businesses are failing, which is why Africans have come together to try and help out those most in need. Hello. I am here with a message for my fellow Africans. Over the years, America has given us so much help, but now there is an American who needs our help. The President of the United States is in deep debt. He is so poor, he has to eat out of buckets. He cannot afford to educate his children, and now they are so stupid. And every day, he struggles to drink water. But for just the price of a cup of coffee a day, you can help the president go from being in enormous debt to being in just a lot of debt. And if you donate today, 
you will get a personal letter from the president you have. But please hurry. He is so malnourished, he has begun to slur his words. God bless the United States. Thank you very much. Remember, you can help an American president in need. Because without your help, he could soon be living in a shithole. So touching. All right, we got to take a quick break. But when we come back, Roy Wood Jr. is helping ex-felons. What? Don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. It's been two years since Florida passed a referendum to restore voting rights to citizens returning from prison. But the battle is still far from over. Roy Wood Jr. has more. Florida, it gets a bad rap for crazy senior citizens, crystal meth, gator attacks, toxic algae, Mar-a-Lago, sinkholes, oh, and lightning strikes. But now it's also making a name for itself for giving ex-felons their right to vote back. The Sunshine State just gained more than one million voters. Voters agreed to restore voting rights to convicted felons except murderers and sexual offenders. It was one of the many amendments on the ballot, Amendment 4. Desmond Mead is the director of the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition that helped pass Amendment 4. 1.4 million people back voting, boom, bam. Mission accomplished. Good job, bro. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. We had uh, legislators in Florida mandated the payment of fines and fees before they're able to register to vote. I see why Florida shaped like a dick, because they oh. always trying to f*** you over. That's right. The Republican-controlled legislature swooped in to ruin the party by making re-enfranchised voters pay for the right to vote. Why, you ask? The laws that these politicians put in place adversely impact people who are poor and minority communities. So basically, this bill affects black Democrats. This law affects people from all walks of life, from all political persuasions. At the end of the day, we live in a state where presidential elections have been decided by less than 600 votes, right? We have one week left to raise sufficient money, right, to allow a significant number of returning citizens to be able to participate in this election. So this effort is entirely nonpartisan and not aimed at helping poor black people? I didn't believe Desmond. And then I met Gary. Man, let me tell you, if it wasn't for the coalition, you know, it would be very difficult for me to do that and be able to vote in November. I think it's very important for everybody out there and with that record to move on. Forget about your past and try to improve your life from there on out. When I was 60 years old, put myself through college. I can do it. They can do it. Well, that's great. So now you can get out there and vote for the Democratic nominee, Joe Biden. I'm voting for Trump. I'm sorry, you say what? I'm voting for Trump. Hang on a second, man. This is a connection. You're breaking up. I know who'd you say you're voting for? I'm voting for Donald Trump. And it's not just Gary. His wife Erica's on the Trump train too. I voted for Trump in 2016 and I will vote for Trump in 2020. Well, thank goodness you can vote for a Republican in spite of Republicans trying to block you from voting for a Republican. Absolutely. Amen. Right on. But a disproportionate number of returning citizens that would get the right to vote again are black. Don't you think having a law in the books that mandates that they pay fines and fees first is a little, just a little racist? I don't believe that at all. Can I answer that? 
Oh, absolutely. I said no. You want to know why? All lives matter. We all bleed the same. We're all children of God. If the people we're fighting for to stop voter suppression decide to instead vote for the guys doing the suppressing, how are we ever going to fix this country? Roy, who the hell is that? It's me, John Legend. John Legend? Man, how the hell you get my Zoom? I'm talking to you through the power of music. Uh, okay. Anyway, listen, John, how do we save democracy if the people who get the right to vote back are voting for the same people that are suppressing their right to vote? We have to learn that voting isn't a privilege for a select, virtuous few. It's a right for every American citizen. No matter if they messed up in life, they deserve the right to vote. But John, we only have a week left to register people, not to mention the hundreds of millions in fines left to pay. This is impossible, man. Listen, Roy, we cannot give up. This election is too important. I need everybody out there. You got to donate, please, to pay the fines and fees. Save, 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 save. our democracy. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Zoom sing-alongs do not work, Roy. We are off beat. Is, is 41 too old to, to learn the piano? Yes, it's too old, Roy. Give up on your dreams. Award winner John Legend had me convinced. We can still make a difference by helping returning citizens register to vote. Even Gary. Yes, Gary. Our best friends are black. Do you know Gary sung at their wedding? Man, I was the only cracker there. Gary, I'm happy that you had your right to vote restored. And and I hope you execute that right to vote at the polls on November 12th. Isn't it November 3rd? I promise you it's the 12th. Thank you so much for that, Roy. We're gonna take a quick break, but don't go away because up next, I'll be talking to the woman who taught us all about chimpanzees. That's right, Dr. Jane Goodall is on the show. Stick around. <laughs> Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. So earlier today, I spoke with world-renowned animal behavior expert and conservationist, Dr. Jane Goodall. We talked about her legendary work with chimpanzees, the threat of climate change, and her hopes for the future. Dr. Jane Goodall, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to join you. I feel like it's not even my invitation to give. You are somebody who has been in the hearts and minds of so many people across the globe. You've been studying our primate cousins for six decades now. I mean, arguably we know more about the world of primates because of you than we ever would have had you not gotten involved. Have we learned everything there is to know about our primate cousins? I don't think so. I mean, you know, after 60 years, we're still learning new things about the same chimpanzee community. And especially when our entering the fourth generation, you know, they can live to, to be about 60 years old. Mm -hmm. But studied them all this time, you know, you can see the effect of different kinds of mothering. You can look at, uh, now we can detect the fathers by doing DNA analysis from their fecal samples. So we can say, well, does the paternity have any influence on the personality of the child? All questions like this are absolutely fascinating. I've always wanted to know, how did Jane Goodall at 26 years old decide, you know what, 
I'm going to go and study chimpanzees and what makes them tick and who they are. Well, it actually all began when I was 10 years old, growing up in England, um, growing up in the days before TV and computers and cell phones, spending time outside. Then when I was 10, I read Tarzan of the Apes, and I decided I'm going to grow up and go to Africa and live with wild animals and write books about them. Everybody laughed. How will you do that? You don't have money. (laughs) World War II is raging, uh, and you're just a girl. But my mother, my amazing mother, she's right here behind me. Uh, She just said, if you really want something, you're going to have to work really hard, take advantage of every opportunity. And if you don't give up, maybe you'll find a way. And that's the message that I take to young people around the world, particularly in disadvantaged communities. We seem to be the only species that at an alarming rate, destroys our environment. You know, we, we don't see any other animals doing this. We see a natural balance in nature. We see an understanding of one thing affecting the other, but it feels like more and more, and you, you discuss this from the perspective of an animal, uh, you know, researcher, habitats are being destroyed. The world is changing. Do you see those effects within the chimpanzee communities that, that you so often frequent? Well, no, but you know something, I think if they developed an intellect along the lines of ours, they would probably do exactly the same. And I feel that what we're doing to destroy the planet is because we can do it. Oh, wow. We've got ourselves into this situation where we can cut down a forest just like that. And what's the result of it? Well, we've basically brought a pandemic on ourselves, and we've basically brought about the climate crisis. That, that's, we've done that, and it's high time that we step back and say, gosh, we, we, what, don't we care about the future of our children? Don't we care about the health of the planet? Because we're part of this natural world, not separated from it. You have become even more famous over the, over the past few years, not just for your research and your work, but also as being an outspoken climate change activist. Um, over the past few months, in fact, we've seen your social media explode with people just engaging with you and connecting with you. And you really have become one of the loudest voices calling for change when it comes to our fight to stop the climate from getting warmer. What do you think people don't understand in the conversation? I think people are burying their heads in the sand. I think, you know, even climate change deniers have begun to say, well, yes, the climate is changing. I mean, you can't deny it, can you? I mean, you cannot deny the fact that temperatures are hotter. You can't deny the fact of these terrible fires that are raging in so many parts of the world. You can't deny that the ice is melting and you see the ice on the tops of the mountains disappearing, Mm -hmm. the snow. Mm And you can't deny the drought. So, yes, but there are still some people who say, yes, yes, but that's just natural. It's nothing to do with us. Well, those are people who refuse to listen to science because the scientists have proven that the levels of carbon dioxide, the main greenhouse gas, have risen exponentially Mm -hmm. and in a way never seen throughout the whole course of evolution. So... What do we what do we say to them? I, I don't know if they refuse to believe it, but young people, they're beginning to understand. Right. They're beginning right. to understand that it's our fault. But 
you know, there's, there's a tendency now for people to lose hope because some scientists are saying we've reached the tipping point. There's nothing we can do. That I refuse to believe in. We've got a window of time. If we get together, then we can at least start to heal some of the harm we've inflicted. What would you say to a young person who has lost hope? A young person who wants to change the world but feels like they cannot? Yeah, well, that's why I started this Roots and Shoots, because I was meeting young people like that who said, you've compromised our future and there's nothing we can do about it. That's when I said, no, no, you're wrong. And the main message of this program is that every single day we live, we make some impact on the planet. And we get to choose what sort of impact we make. What do we buy? Where did it come from? Did it harm the environment? Was it cruel to animals? We can choose. However, those living in deep poverty, and there's so many of them, they can't choose. They're going to destroy the last trees to try and grow food to feed their families or feed the last fish. They're going to buy the cheapest junk food because they have to survive. Mm-hmm. So changing the gap between the haves and the have-not, alleviating poverty, thinking each one of us about our environmental footprint, these are the things that really matter now. Everybody can get involved. And if you roll up your sleeves and you say, well, I can't change the world, but I can clean the stream, and then that stream water will run clean into the river. And there are many other people cleaning streams, and the river's getting cleaner and cleaner, and eventually water into the ocean, then you know that all around the world there are people tackling the same things that you care about. Then the cumulative effect of individual action starts to hit you, and then you feel hopeful. It's when you take action that you leave this feeling of despair and the helplessness. I I hope as many people take action as possible. I uh, thank you for changing not just my life, but I think uh, the lives of many, many millions of people around the world. Dr. Jane, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Well, thank you. And you're doing exactly the same, Trevor. So shake on it. (laughs) Thank you so much. All right, people. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, as you saw on the show earlier tonight, thousands of formerly incarcerated people in Florida are being kept from the polls due to a modern-day poll tax that requires them to pay off fines to the state. These returning citizens are disproportionately people of color, with more than a third being black. But you can do something now to help returning citizens in Florida vote this year. Also, a quick reminder, tomorrow night is the first presidential debate. Yeah, already. So keep an eye on our social media feeds where we'll be covering it all live as it happens. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, wear a mask, and remember, The IRS never forgets. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 